Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Lessons from Leaders. I am Lynn Gilliland, and this podcast is hosted by Lynn Gilliland Consulting as well as Humentum. And this is a part two of a two-part episode with Osama Meswi, who is the president and CEO of Penny Appeal USA. And if you didn't hear the first part, you'll want to go back to it. In this part, we look at why racial justice deserves to have a close conversation. And we talk about building your organizational culture, why that's so important, and identifying as a leader your own non-negotiables. So it's a great episode. Let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone. This is part two with Osama. And um, I hope if you missed part one, you'll want to get to it. This one, there's like three or four things I hope we get to. One that I'm going to start us off with, Osama, which is um, you have told me that you think leaders need to lead differently now than in the past. So tell, tell us about that, about your thinking around that. Well, first and foremost, I think no doubt leaders have always had many, many things to juggle. So I think whether you were a leader today, 50 years ago or a thousand years ago, I think leadership in itself is difficult, it's challenging, and there's lots to balance, of course. Leading today in the American context, uh, in the world 21st century that we live in, I think there are many factors that leaders should be thinking about, uh, regardless of what sector we're in, what industry we're in. And, you know, I'm thinking of climate change, for example, you know, what is the impact of climate change? On the work that we do, especially for us in particular as humanitarians, you know, what, you know, what are we as an organisation? What's our behaviour as an organisation? Are we contributing towards climate change? Uh, and and on the one hand, on the other hand, are we advocating? Are we trying to tackle the root causes of poverty, which we should be? And of course, we know now that climate change is a massive contributing factor to uh, migration and poverty and and, and uh, lack of, of of nutrition, etc. So that that's one that comes to mind. Of course, racial justice, right, in the in the global context, but also in particular here in the United States, racial justice is something that, you know, has, has this in the last 12 months reared its head again. And, you know, it's something that is, again, at the core of what we do. If we're serious about tackling poverty as an organization, well, we know that often poverty isn't just about luck. It's about systemic structural barriers that keep people poor, you know, barriers that create inequality and, 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 and create this massive growing divide that we see year in, year out between the haves and the have nots. Um, you know, just thinking about the fact that in the last 12 months, United States billionaires, how, how much their wealth has grown mm. in the last 12 months alone, while the rest of the country continues to suffer and, and millions of Americans continue to suffer. So. Um, Racial justice, climate change, economic you know, equality, financial equality, um, mental health, right? We know that we're, we're experiencing a mental health epidemic as well. It's something that we haven't spoken about enough. Uh, you speak to every, any physician, anyone working in the public health sphere, we are going through a mental health crisis right now. Many contributing factors to that, I think the breakdown of community, social media, what social media has done to a whole generation of people. Um, so I don't think you can lead well, and I don't think you can lead successfully if you're not aware of, of, of the context in which we live in. And so that's a challenge for us as leaders, because it's not just a question of what works today for me, for my team, is am I thinking about climate change and my decision making? Am I thinking about gender issues, mental health issues? Am I thinking about racial issues in how I lead? And 
are we a best practice organization? And there are many other areas that, that we should be thinking about too. And so uh, I think, yes, there's, there's a lot to think about for, for leaders today. And if you do it well and successful, and if you're going to bring your team with you on this journey. And I'm assuming that you're talking about not only thinking about like your programming, but also thinking about these things as how you are with the staff, with your people. So it's a t external and internal, is absolutely is that right? Absolutely. HR policies, what do your HR policies look like? You know, are you subconsciously discriminating against any group of people? You know, um, do you have a fair recruitment process? Uh, are you being equitable at work in, in, in salaries? Uh, so it, it's everything from office culture, dynamics, uh, internally, to, of course, the, the obvious one, which is externally campaigning and lobbying for advocating for structural changes uh, to bring about a more equitable world. I read recently that um, some uh, the data, and I'm not remembering it, that says that organizations um, can no longer be stand on the sidelines as in, with issues. That staff no longer accept that an organization doesn't stand with, for instance, Black Lives Matter if that's where the majority of the staff are. That there's that is no longer um, acceptable to to the workforce, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and, and in particular for us as a humanitarian 501c3 that's focused on poverty alleviation here in the United States and globally, um, it's, it's, these are not political positions to take. These are root causes mm. of poverty. So we can't talk about poverty eradication if we don't talk about these core subjects. Now, these core subjects have taken a political just like wearing a mask took on in the United States a very political, it became a political symbol, unfortunately. But but you're absolutely right, Lynn, that if we're serious about tackling, serving our mission, our vision, then uh, sitting on the sidelines is, is really, I just think, not an option any longer for many, many uh, organizations. I, I, I like boldness, so I like hearing that. Um, and also, so let's shift a little bit. We're going there already, but talking about culture, I know that you think about that um, and that you, it's part of you. The culture of your organization is something that you um, take quite seriously. So how do you how do you do that? <laughs> because that's a question everybody has. How do we, you know, culture is the way we do things around here, but if we want to shift it, um, to something different uh, this way or that way? How do we do that? How do we hold people accountable? I just wanted to say, actually, Lynn, before we talk about culture, that on, yes. on the previous point, it doesn't mean we always get it right. I think it's really important to say that, that we as leaders have to think about these issues, whether it's climate change or gender or, or racial justice. Uh, but I don't want anyone watching this to think that we've got the answer or that we've nailed it or that we're a best practice organization. It's a work in progress. And I think it's really important to say that because sometimes people feel that, oh, God, where do I start? Right. And, and so as, as leaders, as organizations, you think, oh, we're, you know, where do we start? There's so many issues to tackle. And, and my answer is that we don't have that figured out. We're working on it. We, are, we talk about it openly at you know, staff meetings, executive team meetings. It's something that you just need to be aware of and to say, look, are we, how are we doing on these different metrics? And so just to say that we don't have it all figured out, we're working on solutions. We, we know where we want to be on these issues. And of course, you need resources, you need realistic timeframes and, and, and plans uh, in order to uh, arrive at these, uh, uh, to arrive where we want to, where we want to on, on issues of racial 
racial justice or gender issues or or climate change. And so uh, I think it's important to say that that you should we should we should start somewhere, and and, and it's challenging and it's difficult, and we don't have all the answers. Um, you know, we know our own board, for example, is something that we are aggressively trying to fix in terms of diversity of our board. You know, we have a fantastically diverse staff team. Our board is not as diverse as we would like it to be. That's something we're working on. Um, so I just wanted to say that as a caveat. Or uh, and before, uh, and I'm glad that you did because, for because that that's true. Somebody could you know could think, oh, we're behind, or we should know what we're doing. And it kind of goes to what we talked about in the first part, which is we don't. Nobody knows. We're all doing the best we can. We're all climate change. Well, it's been around as racial justice for a long time now it's like no shit no kidding so let's say we don't know and let's experiment and let's be bold and let's not be held back because we don't know so i, I appreciate that you that you said that in, in a way you you humanized it and um and made it okay to take risks and and not know so thank you for that no, thank you so on culture then yeah uh, let's talk about culture it's a big one. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, there's so much written about organizational cultures and company cultures. There's so many great things and articles and books out there. What I will say is, is I've learned that it's something that doesn't happen magically. It's something, it's not something that you, I think sometimes people expect to happen naturally or organically. Um, I think you need to think about it consciously. I think you, just like we spoke about leadership in, in the first part, I think organizational culture is something that you as a leader, that I as a leader need to be investing in my time and thinking about it. Uh, what is the kind of culture you want to create, right? And, and then once you know what kind of culture you want in your organization, how do you get there? What are the milestones? Uh, what are the building blocks for that culture? And so, again, I think like most things in life, you need to think about it, you need to talk about it, you need to plan for it. Um, and it's, again, just like we said about the previous discussion, it's a work in progress. Um, but fundamentally, I think as leaders, we can't outsource this. I think often, not often, I think nearly always, the culture of an organization starts with its leadership. Mm. And that's from the board level down, right? Uh, you know, many things, it's okay to talk about bottom up, many things should be bottom up. But I think culture, in my opinion, has to be top down, meaning you have to lead by example, from the chair of the organization and the board directors to the CEO and the executive team. And so, um, and there's many different types of cultures and it's okay depending on your sector or your industry or, or whatever works for your organization that's okay but i think it's important that we invest time in thinking about culture and in uh, practicing what we preach in leading by example and not outsourcing it to to your team or your staff and say well if there's something wrong with the culture then you know do something about it often i think it's it's that first conversation we had about being reflective as a leader right it's it's grappling with ideas, grappling with your assumptions, grappling with conclusions that we all have that, that come from our experiences or from mentors, from teachers that we have. Um, so I think culture is really, really important because it dictates, it should dictate the type of people you recruit, right? Mm. It should dictate the way you set up your structure. It should dictate your values and, and, and your priorities. I think culture plays into all of these things. Uh, and so it's intangible, right? Often people are kind of not comfortable talking about culture because it's, you know, if you're focusing on results and outcomes and outputs, well, what does culture have to do with it? But I think culture is, is uh, if you like, the oil that, in the machine, the, in the cogs, and I, I think culture is uh, super important 
to creating a type of environment for productivity, for impact, for creativity, for trust, uh, for comfort, uh, openness, dialogue, transparency, all these things come from a culture and these things, of course, impact results and outcomes. Yes, the openness, trust, dialogue, all those things you mentioned are what's going to impact your, your, pro your production, your results, right? Thank you. That was beautiful. Beautifully said. And then millennials, you have the great honor and experience of working with a lot of millennials, which a lot of, um, which there's been a lot written about the challenges of harnessing the wonderful capacities of millennials. So what has been your experience? Through fate or, or whatever we want to call it, I became a CEO in my late 20s, so very young, um, and uh, just before my 30th uh, birthday. And so um, it just happened to be that I was young and the team that we'd hired uh, as a startup nonprofit launching in 2016 was very young. A lot is said, written about Generation Z or Gen Z or millennials, and often it's... it's uh, these kind of blanket statements about laziness or about lack of work ethic or, and I think people who say that are just fundamentally miss the point. Um, now I'm not saying, you know, this is not the millennial generation Z defense league, you know, that I think there are, there are things that myself, I, I struggle with and we can talk about those. I think there's differences in approach in priorities in expectations, but if you motivate the individual or the team and you inspire the individual, or the team, you know, the level of work I've seen from my, from my colleagues and from, from the team that I lead, I'm very honored to lead. The hours that they've put in, the commitment, the determination to succeed. Uh, you know, I'm talking about 80 hours, 90 hours a week, staying up three in the morning, figuring out solutions. It's about motivating and, 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 and uh, inspiring first and foremost. I think they need to, millennials and Generation Z, Gen Z need to believe in what they're doing. I think this, this idea of clocking in and clocking out is dying for many, many people. It's it's no longer this job for life. When I think of my father's generation, you know, many people would have a job for life, would work in the same organization for 30, 40, 50 years, do a nine to five, clock in, clock out. Clearly we're seeing that in, in, in the in, in modern work culture, that's just vanishing because of the nature of the economy. We know because of the, the climate of the economy, that's just that's vanishing. Uh, we live in, in the gig economy now, uh, but also the mindset and the psyche of, uh, I think, younger employees that they, they have to feel motivated. They have to feel inspired, energized, first and foremost. So I think that's a that's non-negotiable. Uh, they have to do something that they believe in. I think for, for many, again, we're generalizing here, but if you give them something that they believe in that they're passionate about, um, I think this kind of concept of laziness or it just it just doesn't ring true and that's just not been my experience. Now, first and foremost. Secondly, I think it's about how you work. Work culture is really important. You know, if we're interested in results and impact, if we're interested in outputs and, and outcomes, well, we have to be far more flexible in, in the way we expect millennials or Gen Z and other generations to work. So what worked for us in cubicle office buildings, maybe for 30, 40, 50 years in the United States, may not work anymore. Mm. Um, and so um, 
flexibility is something that you know we discussed in the first uh, discussion and uh, i know sometimes for leaders it's difficult because we want to see our team in front of us you know we we want to, those hours to be stable and uh, we we want everyone to work the way we want to work but we have to question those assumptions why why does it matter if someone is sitting in their bedroom in a coffee shop or sitting at your desk you know why does it matter if someone is wearing a a three piece suit slacks or wearing flip flops now of course there's exceptions you know you're meeting people you're meeting partners we're not talking here about the exceptions we're talking in general the work culture uh, if somebody uh, is a mother for example or somebody uh, i usually find this with it and marketing folks they are far more productive in the evening at night time that's where they thrive that's where they're in their zone why can't we allow that why can't we say look you're not an early riser you're somebody who can't get to work at 9 or 10 a.m. but that's okay because actually you know what you're doing you work hard you hit all your goals and your metrics um and so i just think we have to be far more flexible when we think about work work culture work environment um for many many reasons because people work in a different way because modern life is different because everyone has very exceptional family circumstances whether it's children whether it's elderly parents whether it's you know um flat sharing you you name it um so my advice if there is any humble advice that i've learned in these four and a half years is if you're working with millennials and young people and you're thinking i'm not getting the best out of them well then you have to think about are they motivated are they inspired and and do they feel passion for your mission and for your vision first and foremost if the answer is yes well then you know let them fly you know give them the flexibility to work in a manner and way that they want to work now i'm not saying of course we need metrics you know you know my team will tell you that we have work plans we have metrics we have quantifiable deadlines you know we have targets that for me of course as any leader would say that's not non-negotiable but how they reach those targets or those kpis or how they reach those deadlines uh, we just have to be i believe far more flexible and and understand that people have a life outside of work and people are motivated and work in different ways uh so that's my two cents that I've learned in this four and a half year journey with with my team and everything you said applies to everyone we all want to be inspired we all want to know the purpose of our work we all ideally everything would be more flexible so we could get the best out of us as opposed to fitting in the box and so what i'm appreciating about what you're describing is it's breaking it open let's get rid of those old standards that didn't work for anybody anyways um and the, if the gen x and millennials are pushing that envelope bring it on you know so no more saying that, that we are that they are perfect of course not you know human beings are human beings some people are <laughs> some people are more motivated than others some people are more, have a better work ethic than others etc etc right but on the whole um i think uh you know my generation and and those before me put up with a lot more uh if you like we we bit our tongues a lot more right. than than i think younger folks are willing to do and good for them and and i'm sure the baby baby boomers of which i'm the tail end of i want that to be clear i'm the tail end. <laughs> um i think you know part of it is envy but we'll see what people say about that um just for closing osama what if you I ask this question of all of my guests um most of them have a few more years of leadership under their belts mm. so this is the question if you could what do you it's either what do you know now that you wish you knew then 
when you were younger, when you were a newer leader or when you were coming up? Or um, what advice would you give your younger self? Whichever of those resonates with you. Yeah. Um, I think I would tell myself and remind myself that it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, mm. right? Um, I think the way the education is set up, I grew up in the UK uh, and you know, I was educated in the United Kingdom and uh, the way that the Western, I think, education system, there is pressure that you graduate from school, you go to college, you're meant to know what you want to do, you're meant to have it all figured out by such a young age, and particularly in the UK where uh, we specialize, as, as you may know, we do GCSEs and then we only pick four subjects for A-levels. So unlike in, in American colleges where people have to do certain courses that are quite general in science and math and, and, and social sciences, in the UK we specialize at a very young age. And so it puts this pressure on young people to say, okay, I need to know what I want. And, and often I think at the age of 16, many of us did not know what we wanted to do with our lives. You know, some people are of course blessed to have always known uh, uh, what they want to do in life. That wasn't my situation. And so there was, I felt this constant pressure to have it figured out. And so, you know, you see my careers, we discussed in, in the first ground where, in the first discussion where I did history thinking I'd go maybe be an academic, uh, ended up in law school, knew very quickly that law wasn't my passion. It wasn't something that I would particularly enjoy doing. Uh, fell, thank God, into the nonprofit space where I really found myself and, and really uh, found meaning and, and, and found purpose and uh, it takes time and that's okay and so I tell my younger self that spend less hours thinking about tomorrow and spend you know whatever you're doing there is no one trajectory there's no one path and uh, this sounds very cliche corny but you know I really someone told me you know I was thinking at law school that I wasn't after all the money and time spent studying law that I that I probably would not end up practicing law you know someone said to me and reminded me that if you you know You've got to do what you love and you'll never work again. And it's corny and it's cliche, but it's been true in my career that if you find a passion, if you find something that you love to do, that's okay. Do it and success will come with time and you don't have to have it all figured out today or tomorrow. Whatever you're doing today, do it well, do it to the best of your ability. And I believe that life has a way of working itself out and careers have a way of working themselves out. So. I would tell myself to uh, remind myself that it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And then we'll check with you in 10 years and see what more <laughs> advice that you have for your younger self. That would be fun. Right. 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 <laughs> so, Salma, thank you so much for your time and um, for your wisdom, for spending so long with us. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you really being so um, authentic and, and vulnerable with the things that you shared. Thank you, Lynn. It's been a pleasure.